You're listening to Spice Radio, 1200 AM's The Morning Buzz, and we are speaking to Margaret Adovgal, Managing Director at Resource Work Society. And this week's topic is shrinkflation, why shopping for household goods is turning into an exercise in absurdity and how families in BC can secure their economic well-being. Margareta, thank you so much for joining us. As always, I'm happy to be here. Good morning, then, Karen. Now, this is such a relevant topic. What exactly is shrinkflation and what effect is it having? Well, shrinkflation has become a common theme in you could say everything from casual chit-chat to uh, conversations like this one on radio. People say things like, my dollar isn't stretching very far these days. What's up with that? Or, wow, have you seen how tiny toothpaste tubes are getting? And can you believe they're charging this much? Well, your toothpaste staying the same price or even getting more expensive while the quantity being sold to you shrinks, sometimes by a startling amount, is shrinkflation in a nutshell. It's when the cost of producing things gets out of control and the consumer ability to afford higher prices uh, isn't as elastic. So companies are deciding, uh, well, we better continue to make sales. So let's just, you know, cut our costs a little bit, uh, deliver less products, maybe uh, same packaging to give you the impression that uh, you're still getting uh, whatever it is you're expecting to get. But on the on the net, the quantity itself has gone up in price, and you're seeing that uh, in, uh, in what you actually buy. And just the other day, I was standing outside a drugstore after picking up some of my own household essentials, and about two minutes before closing, saw this one guy waltz, and he kind of shoved me to the side as he walked into the store, and uh, I could see through the window uh, very, very quickly. Quickly, uh, before I could even uh, say anything or, you know, unpeel my jaw from the floor, he was loading his sweatpants with what I expect was a few hundred dollars worth of batteries. Uh, and then, you know, very quickly, he just strolls out. Uh, there's some alarms blaring or, you know, that are at least bleeping. And you can see staff look kind of missed, but what are they going to do? They shrugged their shoulders. They moved on. Uh, it's not like they're going to tackle him and, you know, extract all those batteries. Not likely that the police would uh, respond to a call like that uh, in downtown Vancouver. Uh, so it was a, an interesting little event. I'm sure a, a relatively common one for anyone who spent some time in downtown Vancouver. Uh, so I got home, unpacked my own acquisitions, and then my jaw dropped again. Everything was tiny, tinier than even before. And here I was paying just as much, if not before. So, you know, does the intrepid battery thief have a point? Is it corporate greed that's the problem? I'd say no, in short. Uh, costs are up. Everything from labor inputs uh, and supply chain uncertainty, making it hard for companies to get what they need when they need it to make the product that they need. So in some cases, they're paying a lot more for what essentially is the same product. Uh, And also inputs like energy, chemicals, fertilizers. uh, That has an impact on everything from the household goods like uh, toothpaste, toothbrushes, uh, all the way through, uh, you know, foodstuffs. uh, Even your fuel costs are, are going up. And a lot of this is the result of uh, COVID-related economic impacts. Uh, We had a massive disruption to all supply chains in COVID. Uh, During the pandemic, uh, we also saw a major conflict break out in Europe and uh, energy prices skyrocketed. So a lot of this stuff is still playing out. We have a lot of other structural factors in the economy uh, and uh, some economic uncertainty that I think is making consumers more worried than they would be otherwise. Uh, if you know there was just some inflation, but our ability to afford stuff was also going up concurrently, which frankly at this point it's not. And let's get into that. You know, what are the underlying causes? To be clear, affordability is a really relative term. And it's been a theme throughout human history. Uh, Empires have literally fallen because the price of grain or olive oil 
or taxes being uh, levied on people uh, have uh, gotten unsustainably high. We have ancient scrolls and stone tablets. We have, uh, you know, the recordings of historians from over a thousand years ago uh, attesting to this as a common complaint throughout the ages. And it's a pretty reasonable expectation that people have living in a society that uh, the, the way that you live your life is... Uh, would be within your means, that uh, your state, your king, your emperor, uh, your democratically elected government is doing everything in its power to ensure that you and your family can have what you need to live on. Uh, but what I mean when I say it's relative is this. What you're expected to consume as a person or a household in this world varies massively depending on your cultural and economic context. Uh, you know, to you and I, uh, you know, maybe going and uh, uh, getting my hair done once in a while, getting my nails done, maybe going on a vacation uh, once or twice a year. Um, that could be a, an expectation uh, a lot of uh, consumers in North America and uh, much of the developed world have. Uh, in other parts of the world, that's an unfathomable luxury. Uh, you know, paying for a cell phone bill so you have access and connectivity wherever you go. Uh, you know, for your average Canadian, uh, you're expecting to pay a whole of a lot more than uh, you would be uh, if you you're, let's say, in Sub-Saharan Africa or in Southeast Asia, um, where the competitive pressures, uh, consumers' ability to pay is very, very different. And a lot of that actually comes down to your income. Um, so we have fairly high average incomes in North America. Uh, it can be kind of hard in cities like Vancouver, where uh, things like land uh, are quite scarce. Uh, the, ho- the cost of uh, basic households, line items like housing, uh, is a disproportionately massive share. So you're actually left with less money to spend on everything else. And then, of course, we live in a very, very uh, rapid, uh, demanding, uh, heavily marketed consumer culture where uh, it's not just the basic essentials for living uh, that you need, but you're constantly being sold on more and more and more and more. Uh, and then we get things like massive amounts of credit card debt, which as a nation, Canadians have in space. Um, but one of the most reliable offsets for this, one of the things that governments and markets can do to support citizens and consumers uh, against global forces uh, like the COVID pandemic and all of the economic issues that that's caused uh, is the continued creation of jobs and the continued growth in job income. And we do that by investment, typically from the private sector. Uh, we can get tax revenues as well when there's a lot of stuff happening in the economy that uh, makes a pretty penny for someone. Uh, it funnels money into the pockets of workers. It funnels money into the pockets of uh, business owners across the supply chain. And it funnels money into the coffers of governments who can then reinvest it in everything from roads and bridges um, and uh, maintenance of schools and hospitals uh, through to economic stimulus when it's needed. Um, so to get those economic benefits flowing through the whole system requires us to build, to export the things that the world wants. And as it relates to British Columbia, we have a number of incredibly valuable natural resource commodities that we have a, a tradition and a well-developed industry in producing and exporting, not only uh, you know to our immediate neighbor, the United States, but to the world as a whole. Uh, in fact, uh, right off the coast of British Columbia, we're uh, getting to completion on what is going to be the first, hopefully, in a you know large swathe of LNG export facilities, LNG Canada. And combined with the pipeline that's supplying it, Coastal GasLink, uh, about $40 billion worth of investment uh, has been made. And uh, I believe I heard that uh, 50,000 Canadians at some point or another have actually been employed by these two projects uh, throughout their construction. So that's been a very sizable impact, but um, they're wrapping up pretty soon. A huge chunk of that impact is pretty upfront. When you're building major infrastructure, there will be, of course, operational jobs and benefits, uh, whether it's 
you know, over in Kitimat, where the export terminal is, along the route of the pipeline through northern BC, or in the northeast of British Columbia in uh, the natural gas patch that we have uh, that uh, continues to create jobs in those communities. Um, Simultaneously, the Trans-Mountain Expansion Project also wrapping up uh, its major expansion, uh, and Site C hopefully soon coming to completion too. Um, So BC has uh, a short-term opportunity, uh, a short-term crisis rather, and a long-term opportunity where very soon a lot of those jobs that are currently being occupied by folks uh, working on the construction of these major projects uh, are going to need to be created somewhere. Um, so the onus is really now on governments to enable uh, more investment to flow while there is the demand and the market desire to do that. There's products like natural gas that uh, economies around the world, including in Asia, where they're transitioning from coal, really, really need. Um, so that's a, that's a pretty key piece. And um, I'm, I'm hearing on the flip side of it that uh, opponents of this economically productive major infrastructure are, of course, spinning affordability too. They're, they're saying, oh no, it's but we start exporting our natural gas from British Columbia, everything's going to get more expensive for those who use it as, a, as an energy source in their homes and in their businesses. And, you know, anecdotally, in some areas, this could be true. I think they're uh, ignoring the uh, massive net benefits that comes from job creation and investment flow, uh, which uh, we have the opportunity to do both here in Canada and our neighbors down south in the U.S. have as well with their LNG export terminals. Uh, it's a rapidly growing industry globally, and I think a very important one. And um, I do think it's a little bit disingenuous for uh, uh, organizations and advocates who uh, are typically saying we should uh, ban the use of natural gas uh, to now suddenly be concerned about consumers' ability to afford that natural gas. Uh, I think that's just a, a convenient tactic that's being deployed here, but uh, it does tie back to this essential priority that we have um, that. Everyone is under a huge amount of pressure right now to afford uh, everyday living. It's getting tighter. And if we can't force the prices of things to be lower, uh, you know, history and common sense shows us that that never really works out well when governments try to intervene in that way. Uh, businesses just go elsewhere and things get more expensive and unreliable. Um, our only other alternative is to actually create new wealth, create new prosperity to help uh, hedge and improve the relative affordability of British Columbia households and households across the country. Margaret, we're now in a provincial election year and affordability is likely to be front and center for all parties as they communicate to voters. How are you expecting this issue to play out? Well, if everyone uh, is smart here, and, um, you know, that, that's an assumption that <laughs> every party uh, is behaving rationally relative to what voters want, um, it's going to be the election issue this year. Um, and I'd say maybe, first of all, that the onus is on citizens, you know, informed listeners like the ones listening to this program right now to ask tough questions and to ultimately make informed decisions uh, at your polling station. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that, uh, you know, gets baked into any party's platform. Um, I, a lot of the time around election season, we see, uh, you know, governments in power will uh, start to write checks to, to people. Um, and parties uh, in opposition will make promises about checks that they would write if they were elected into government. Um, and that's a common tactic. You know, I, I would just urge citizens not to be swayed by, uh, you know, 200 300 500 dollars here and there. Um, I would actually urge them to consider the underlying factors that enable everyone's life to to be affordable and to be healthy and happy and economically secure. And uh, that's economic stewardship. That's creating an enabling investment climate that uh, allows for jobs 
and high-paying ones to be made in communities across the province. Um, and that's a far tougher thing than, you know, writing a few stimulus checks here and there, a few affordability tax credits. Um, so that's going to be one piece that I'm sure we'll be talking about a lot more in the coming weeks and months. But um, I certainly will be watching for uh, as we get into this cycle and uh, all the interesting political squabbling that's certainly going to follow. Margareta, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. You take care. You too. We just spoke to Margareta Dovgal, Managing Director at Resource Work Society, and this week's topic is shrinkflation, why shopping for household goods is turning into an exercise in absurdity and how families in BC can secure their economic well-being. This is the Morning Buzz on Spice Radio.